Welcome to Redefining Success, the Kingdom Builder Spotlight. I'm your host, Eric L. Dunavant, the Mindset Disruption Strategist and President and CEO of Paradium. My teams and I redefine success for purpose-driven families and businesses by challenging social norms and balancing family and finance to build kingdom impact and generational prosperity. I believe that there are families and businesses that have learned to give a new definition to the word success from a kingdom perspective. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the next 20 to 30 minutes where we take traditional thinking and turn it upside down. Hey everyone, welcome to Redefining Success, the Kingdom Builder Spotlight. This is Eric L. Dunavit. So excited to be with you. Joining me today is a treat. Nathaniel Clark, who is the managing partner and founder of Chasm Architecture, um, is with us. And I'm excited for him to tell his story, but I'm also excited for you to be able to just hear the things that he's doing the things that he has overcome, but not only that, his vision. Nathaniel and I met on an airplane, I think about three years ago, sitting next to each other in what I like to call Southwest First Class, which is the exit row, and have kind of kindled a friendship since that time. And so, Nathaniel, getting you to come on here and talk to my listeners is exciting. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's a pleasure. And it was funny that we were in that uh, Southwest first class seat together. And uh, I, I kind of leaned over and asked you what book you're reading. And, you know, I don't remember what book you were reading, but uh, it's, it's been a, a great relationship and friendship uh, ever since that that encounter. So looking Absolutely. forward. Can I just confess? I don't know if I remember what book I was reading either. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we read so many books, right? Yeah, so uh, it's important to uh, uh, just kind of reach out sometimes across the aisle. You never know uh, who you're going to meet, who you're going to encounter. So. Well, all I remember, which is important to me, is your sock game was strong, which just tells me a lot about a man. A man who has a good sock game is a... Either I'm wearing socks or I'm, never, or I'm not wearing socks. So <laughs> it's going to be some really nice socks. I've actually transitioned since COVID. I've been walking around the house in house shoes so much. That I don't wear I don't wear uh, socks that much these days. So I just I, I get some really nice shoes that'll support my my uh, my ankles, and uh, we keep it moving. Oh, that's awesome! That's awesome, Nathan. We're gonna have to be careful because you and I can sit here and just talk back and forth like in friends. But yeah. my audience doesn't know you. Give them a thirty thousand foot view if you can, kind of, of your life, you who you are, and kind of where you've come from. Yeah, wow. So 30,000 foot uh, view. Uh, I, I was born in Monroe, Louisiana. I grew up in a little suburb uh, north of that, uh, Sterlington, Louisiana, 7th uh, Street community, uh, mom and dad at home. I actually knew my great grandparents, uh, my great grandfathers uh, on both sides. Uh, I knew a great grandmother as well on my, my mom's side. Uh, in this small little community, uh, Sterlington, uh, Louisiana, uh, where we kind of grew up, had an uh, older sister who's a year older, uh, a brother uh, who's four years younger, and a, a, a baby sister who is 16 years younger. And, but, you know, I, I remember that day my parents told me that, uh, that they were having uh, a daughter or a kid, right? We didn't know exactly then. Yeah. And I just remember looking at my mom and saying, really, you guys are still <laughs> doing that, right? Um, but you know, at, at, at 16 years younger, she's like my pride and joy before I had, uh, children, myself, uh, lover's death. Her name's Angelica. She's actually a book writer. Um, mm. and she's doing a lot of things there as well. But my, my brother lives in Dallas. Uh, you know, he remains and will always be my number one pick. Even if Michael Jordan is sitting on the sidelines, uh, you know, that's the commitment. And then, you know, my sister and I are really close. Uh, we were there kind of uh first and second and have always been close remain close uh and you know grew up with a bunch of cousins uh in louisiana and then transitioned uh you know 
didn't really know what I wanted to do out of high school. So I have probably the most non-traditional path to becoming an architect that's designed one of the a globally recognized project, you know, coming from rural Louisiana, uh, seven street town yeah. and, you know, going to uh, Cahoma community college, uh, HBCU that my father actually attended and played basketball, uh, at, and, you know, I was one of those kids that didn't know what he wanted to do when he graduated high school. And I just knew because my mother told us for four years, you got to get out of our house. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when that day hit and we had to make the decision or I had to make the decision, uh, to leave home, I didn't have a lot of options. Uh, kind of played around. I didn't take it as seriously as I should have in in high school. Uh, graduated with a two point nine. I was actually disappointed. I thought I could skate by and get a B average, and that really taught me a lesson. Uh, I had an English teacher that didn't really uh, give me the the A that I wanted in English that could have gotten me a three point three to graduate high school. So I actually graduated high school with two point nine. And that taught me a good lesson that you got to go get it. Nobody's going to give you anything, right? Uh, a lot of lessons in life. And so the transition from Cahoma Community College uh, and then I was introduced to uh, architecture there for the first time, really. Uh, and then transitioned to LSU. And I guess the rest is history. Go Tigers. <laughs> Tell, what was it about the Tahoma community college that really kind of lit you up about architecture? What got you excited about the possibility inside of that? Well, I think it was before that, right? In the seventh grade, uh, I was uh, in band and I was playing, I played trombone in band. And this was, so in the Sterlington High School, the school I went to, uh, the it was from seventh grade all the way through uh, senior. So seven to 12, and you take classes like band with the upperclassmen uh, simultaneously. So I was in band, seventh grade, uh, and four students decided to have a conversation behind me about what black men weren't. Like we we couldn't lead a football team. We couldn't be the coach or the GM, right? We could never become the president of the United States. Uh, we are good athletes, but you know, we could never be the lead person that's directing traffic, right? So. I just started ghosting, you know, on my trombone, not really playing notes, but listening. Uh, and, and honestly, that kind of hit me a little hard because I wanted to stand up and say, start naming all those folks that they may know in my neighborhood, but I didn't have the ammunition, right? Mm. So then I decided in that moment, I would become, you know, I would seek the one of the whitest professions I could find and be very good at that profession, if not dominate that profession. And that's what led me to, you know, that was in high school. So I didn't take sports as I was, I really loved basketball, but I didn't really take it as seriously as I could have or should have based upon the love that I had for the game. Cause I didn't know, I didn't have any examples that I could really, really tie to that were professional basketball athletes successful and doing those things. So yep. like, all right, so why am I putting all this effort in? What's the point? Right. So then I transitioned to, I go through high school, right. Um, graduate. I got to find something to do. Right. Uh, looked at all kinds of options. And then I transitioned to at the last minute. Right. Now my, my dad made a phone call to the, uh, the coach at Tahoma community college, James Washington, Okay. Uh, they retired. They they were the captain and co-captain of the basketball team when my dad was there. And now he's coaching. He made a phone call and said, I got to get my son out of the house. Will you take him? <laughs> <laughs> and he did. And, uh, you know, uh, when I got there, I had to choose a major. And uh, Freddie Caswell, who's one of my great mentors, uh, recently passed away, civil uh, architect. Uh, he was over the engineering department. And behind his head, I saw civil engineering and other engineering, right? Uh, and he was also nodding at the table. Um, so I'm like, man, do I really want to do that? Uh, that's not really the right image that I want to uh, pursue uh, with um, someone nodding at the table when they're recruiting team, uh, students. Yeah. And then I looked over and I saw drafting and design. 
and Jacqueline Maxwell, uh, the professor of that program, and uh, she was doing she was doing this because she saw me looking around. I was trying to make a decision on the fly for a major. Oh, wow. Think about this. I didn't leave high school with a major. I didn't have an idea of what I wanted to do. And I go to Oklahoma Community College yeah. on a phone call, right? And then I get in the room and I'm trying to make a decision and I see drafting and design. And above that, above her shoulder, I see the word architecture. And I say, that's it. Really? Really. Wow. Wow. I've never really told that story, uh, to that whole story. Uh, so this is an exclusive. This is a Nate Clark. There we exclusive. go. There we go. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and then, you know, I kind of got into architecture. You know, Freddie Caswell was an architect, became one of my biggest mentors. I mean, he's the guy that told me when I graduated Kahoma uh, after two years that, you know, why I go, you know, I was, so it's an HBCU. So that, mm-hmm. You know, I just left uh, uh, a uh, HBCYOU uh, uh, podcast broadcast with uh, D Brown, our great friend. Yeah. And on that broadcast, we were talking about, you know, the transition and what it means to be an HBCU and attend an HBCU and, you know, how they nourish you. And, you know, I was wanting to go and continue my path as a student in the HBCU program at, you know, at Tuskegee or uh you or howard or some of those other institutions and what he actually told me was that listen the profession is 99.9 percent white male if you and you can compete we've put you in a position to compete Mm. so go to an institution where you can compete and show that you're on the similar level or same level or beyond the level as the folks that you're going to uh, be competing with in the industry. And it was that level of confidence that you get from an HBCU uh, and you get from, you know, you can get it from a majority college, but, you know, in the English class at some of these smaller institutions at a community college, right. And that was a community college, right. That was a four year institution, you know, at a two year institution, you know, the classes are maybe 15 students, 15 to 20 students. You go to English at LSU, it's 300 students right. and 150 of them are tape recorders, right? right. right. <laughs> In the classroom. So, you know, that path uh, to architecture was really non-traditional, um, uh, non-traditional path. And, but I fell in love with it uh, at Kahoma, then transitioned. Actually, before I attended LSU, uh, we grew up across the street from a chemical plant okay. uh, in rural Louisiana. Uh, all my life, right? And that plant exploded. Uh, the summer I graduated uh, from Kahoma, I think it was in May and I graduated early May or late April, it exploded and I graduated in May. So I went home because uh, my mother was at home with my youngest sister and uh, that plant exploded. They had to get out of town, grab my grandparents and they they fled because they didn't know where the next explosion uh, was going to happen. But anyway, I worked uh, before I transitioned to LSU. I was working at uh, Brown and Root Braun uh, as a uh, carpenter and electrician helper and a surveyor. And during that duration, I worked seven days a week, 12 hours a day Mm. for six months straight. Did you? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I was, and you know, so I was what, 18, 19 at the time. Yep. So I was making a lot of money. Yep. Working those hours. And, you know, I was, I was on uh, my superintendent, right? The guy that I was working closely with, you know, he said, listen, I used to beat him at checkers every day. My great grandfather taught me how to play checkers and he just yeah. thought he was checkers king, right? <laughs> so on the first morning break at 10 30, 10 15, we would sit in and I would beat him. I would beat the brakes off this guy <laughs> every day, every day. And he told me that, you know, he said his, his name was Porter Crew. Uh, he said, listen, you're too smart to, to sit in a trailer with me on a job site working seven days a week, 12 hours a day. Mm. You're too intelligent for this. So I'm going to bust your hump. And on this job, you're going to beat me at checkers, but I'm going to bust your hook mm. out here until you tell me you're going back to school. Wow. Uh, and I, 
it was that voice that really said, you know what, let me get back to the path that I'm supposed to be on. I enrolled in LSU and uh, finished a five-year program in four and a half years, graduated with the uh, uh, College of Design Dean's Medal. Uh, so Freddie Caswell was right. You know, you put in the time, yeah. uh, you compete, and the, the professors at LSU uh, are the guys that award the students with that that award, that, that, you know, that very important critical role. Yeah. And I was actually the first African-American uh, to receive that mm -hmm. award at LSU and then transition out of that and it became a partner and uh, in a firm went from intern to VP of a company in Baton Rouge wow. in about eight years and uh, became actually the first African-American to become a partner in a majority firm in the history of Louisiana. Is that so, right? Wow. A lot of, a lot of uh, barriers broken, but yeah. really none of that would have happened without voices, other people's voices, a lot of people praying, yeah. you know, a lot of uh, faith, because it's so easy to get off the path. Mm. And everybody thinks that, oh yeah, I grew up and when I was four years old, I wanted to be an architect because I saw an architect building in my house <laughs> no i walked into a room and saw the word architecture and i said hey uh i don't know any african-americans in architecture mm. none i know yeah. i have no examples so that is me i'm going to be the example that uh because i don't know anyone so that sounds like a really good gap to fill uh <laughs> for myself it sounds like an odd way to make a decision about your life path and yeah what has been maybe, I mean, so you've been on this journey. Uh, the thing that I hear you say over and over, you've said this a couple of times, but it's the voices we list, the voices that speak into us. Yes. But Nate, I think the other thing that gets to be important, it's not just the voices that speak into us because there were negative voices along the way too, right? You talked about playing the trombone and there are voices behind you. So sometimes it's the voices we choose to listen to. Yes. So what do you feel like was really kind of the defining piece of your life that helped you discern what are the, what are the right voices to listen to versus the wrong voices to listen to? You know, I think discernment, you hit the point. Like we hadn't rehearsed this discussion, right? I mean, I, first time I saw you this morning, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> discernment, right? You, 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 I think you pray for discernment, right? Having old heads in my life, like great grandfathers, right? and grandmothers and my father and my mother right all those folks that didn't have money to put me through school all they said to me is hey baby i'll pray for you right mm. uh and so discernment comes with wisdom uh and you know wisdom with wisdom it, the biggest thing tethered to wisdom is discernment right you have to have the ability to look at a situation and understand if the decisions that you're making uh, are good decisions, I haven't always made good decisions. I don't make, I'm sure I made some bad decisions already this morning. Right. Um, but I think, you know, if you look at life and you're willing to say, uh, okay, I forgive myself and others for the things that have transpired. That's the only way that you can really, really kind of move on and, and, mm. and understand the essence of life. But, but I would say discernment is, is, is critical. And, you know, my, my, my family like instilled in us, you know, confidence, like, you know, you don't have to hear, I love you from someone else when you hear it every day. So I don't need you to really tell me you love me or that I'm precious or that I'm good or that I'm brilliant or that I'm kind, you know, uh, those are the things you hear at home. Yeah. from your family so that when someone says it to you and they are doing it to manipulate you, you don't fall into that crack. Right. Mm. And I've got daughters. So I tell my daughters, you know, that all the time, I tell them why I tell them that I love them. Uh, they're 10 and 11. Right. Uh, we're at, man, after Christmas, it's birthday season. In my <laughs> right. It's just a continuous run till June. Uh, and then I'm in October and everybody forgets October because, that, you know, Halloween is right around the corner. But anyway, um, you, you know, I, th those are critical, just critical things that uh, confidence and the 
the willingness to be great. Like I, that's part of it also. Like my mother used to show us, she couldn't fly us to New York, right? But she would show us images of New York. We would sit down and we would like watch the lifestyles of the rich and famous, right? Mm. We would watch all of these shows. She had architectural digest on her, on the table, right? Yeah. Uh, and I just remember, you know, I didn't want to be an architect, but I'm, I'm, as I start to have more of these discussions out loud about, you know, the things that were attractive to me in history, through my history, I see these little, little uh, pointers that kind of lead me to this, uh, this decision that I, I feel that I made through, you know, happenstance. But I think a lot of things were kind of uh, on the path when you look back that were nudging you to the direction that you really needed to go. So it's, it's kind of weird, really a great way to kind of put piece all of that back together by talking about it out loud, out loud, unrehearsed, because right. then you have to remember, you know, things that were on the path. Well, so the name of the podcast is redefining success. And one of the things that I don't think any of my other guests have really grabbed onto the way that you have this morning is this idea, you know, one of my key beliefs and philosophies is that we spend so much time focused on financial accumulation. And what we miss is the family, it's the relational side, it's the family impact that comes in. And that's what I'm hearing just echoed all throughout your story. It was about the family, it was about the love, it was about people believing in you and right. giving you those voices to hear. And so as we look at where we are today, that then becomes the most important thing we can pass on. So maybe we can't affect our past. Maybe someone's listening who's like, well, I didn't have that growing up, but you can choose what voices you listen to. And you can also choose how you're going to speak to your own family and speak over your own children and speak vision into them as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my family, so my, my, my wife, Shauna and I, we, we had a vision session with the kids and, mm. Uh, we had a, 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 a just a family meeting and that family meeting was a vision session. And I, I went first uh, just to kind of help them visualize how big you can dream. And we were just sitting around the table, even, you know, this was last year, my son is four and, you know, uh, even the, the girls were, were all there. We we're just sitting around the table talking. And I started, I said, listen, I want to have my own private Island and I want to be on our beach. Like we own the beach. And I want to sit here, and uh, your 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 mom is, has her uh, little beverage, right? I have my beverage. The dog is running around on our beach. You know, our yacht is out in the in the sea. And we have a really nice house that's back up on the hill. And you guys are out here with your friends. Uh, and it's ours, right? We've earned it. We've worked for it. Nobody can take it. And the first thing that they both looked at each other, all of them looked at each other and said, is that we can have that. Mm. And I said, you can have anything yeah. you want. Yeah. All you have to do is positively put that out in the universe and the universe will bring that to you. But you have to put in the work also. You can't yeah. just sit back and say, hey, I want a billion dollars and then go and sit on the couch and, you know, watch Housewives all day. Right. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> that doesn't work. Right. Um, you have to put in the work and, you know, I, I'm a big fan of, of, of Kobe Bryant and uh, the late great. And, yeah. you know, you know, you got to put in the work, you know, put up 400 shots after the game, win or lose. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Win or lose, put up the shots because that's the only way you can be great uh, is to put in the work. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, you finish LSU because we yeah. didn't get a little bit of this transition and you can, you can go a little bit faster or whatever you kind of feel called to do, but I would love to kind of understand how you end up in Atlanta, how you end up kind of founding chasm and what the journey is to doing that. Maybe meeting Shauna along the way. What, what does that journey look like? Cause you've, you've broken a lot of barriers getting out of LSU and getting on with a, a partner inside of this other firm, but how does, how does chasm come into the picture? So in, wow, 2003, I think there was a, a tough market hit in Baton Rouge. And I was recruited by um, uh, two gentlemen, Fred Grace and Jerry Hebert in, uh, in Baton Rouge. And that's the company I went to, I became partner with. And, you know, 
after I made partner, actually the uh, managing partner at the time came to me and said, you know, we just lost four or five projects. We're going to have to lay some people off. I really need someone to help me. I need you, he said, to help me win some work. Uh, so I said, all right, give me a year. <laughs> and in a year, you know, we had uh, landed a project at Southern University is a $32 million project, student housing project. Uh, I think it was the largest non-joint venture project in the history of the firm at the time. Uh, because back then, a $32 million project was a huge project in that market. Right? I mean, it's still a nice project. Um, but uh, so I, I, that project is what transitioned me to partner. I had really good friends at Southern University. Uh, they were also assisting me in uh, uh, transitioning to become a leader, uh, not just in that firm, but just in the market. So uh, that was a nod to that university, HBCU, by the way, yeah, uh, helped me to um, transition and become partner at that firm. And then, you know, with that kind of energy, right, and momentum, uh, I just didn't feel that Baton Rouge uh, could manage. You know, Baton Rouge is not New Orleans, right? It's not Dallas. Uh, it's certainly not Atlanta. Uh, so I didn't feel at the time that a firm of, say, 40, 30, 30 with the prospects of growing to 40 could financially sustain itself long term. Uh, in Baton Rouge, it's just not enough people flowing through it. So I approached my partners about um, creating another company. I would need to own the majority of it. Um, if I were to move out to uh, that market or whatever that market was. Uh, so in its infancy, uh, Chasm was owned 60% by me mm. and 40% by uh, the other firm that I worked with. Uh, and I was still the second largest stockholder of the other firm. Okay. And Katrina happened, right? Mm. And when Katrina happened, there was pr the prospect, and this was real, right? This was real money. Yeah. The prospect of a lot of work pouring into South Louisiana. Uh, but I still, and they wanted me to open an office, shut down Chasm, and then open an office in New Orleans. And I just felt that that was short-sighted. I didn't feel that, you know, mm. that was the right move because if there's a lot of money to be had in South Louisiana, then it's the smartest time to expand to another market and then share the work in that market that's booming to build the market that you want to transition to so that you can be in two markets simultaneously because at some point, the money's going to run out in New Orleans, Yep. right? The FEMA funds are going to leave in about 10 years. But if you're only looking at the first five, then, you know, you're going to find yourself in a, in a bad situation uh, when those projects are built out and they have a, you know, a 25 to 30 year uh, shelf life uh, where they know that client won't need a building, right? You wow. won't need a hospital. You don't won't need a fire station. And so I decided I was going to buy them up. So I, I bought them out of Chasm. I sold all my stock uh, in uh, uh, their company. And then I opened an office immediately right back in uh, Louisiana uh, because that's where the work was. And nobody really knew that I had left. And I was flying back and forth uh, to Louisiana probably every two weeks um, in Atlanta just so in most cases, people don't see you, but once a month, right? That's clients. Yep. So if they see me, then they think I'm still there. Yeah. And if they see me in Atlanta, they think I live here. <laughs> so I played that charade <laughs> for about two years. And honestly, that's what transitioned us through a chasm through the recession mm. uh, was just maintaining my relationships in New Orleans and working on FEMA projects and working on master plans and all those projects that were coming, uh, but also building, you know, my brand here uh, in Atlanta, having moved to Atlanta without a single contract. Wow. Right? Um, but just the belief that with the busiest airport in the world, right? Yep. yep. Uh, that there's more people transitioning through Atlanta 
than anywhere else in the world, which means that there's more opportunity to meet people, which yeah. means there's more opportunity to grow a company. Uh, so these are just, I thought these are just natural things that you think about if you're responsible for taking care of folks. Well, I mean, it's natural things you think about it when God gifts you with vision, which is what I just, you keep telling this over and over in your story. It's one of the reasons you and I have really connected. You are a natural visionary and you listen to what God says to you and you see really, really well. I don't know anyone else that would have thought of not chasing the dollars 100% in New Orleans with an idea of how do I think 10, 15, 20 years out. Um, that took That took some courage. Yeah, that took courage. It took a lot of guts also to just say, you know, sometimes though people know your value mm. more than you and they see value in you more than you see it in yourself. And then sometimes, this is what I tell my, my children, like, you know, my, my mentors currently are trial and error, right? Um, because if I can go through that trial, then I can show you how to navigate that minefield. Yeah. But if, you know, a lot of it has to do with confidence and faith. I mean, listen, confidence is one thing. And that's just me. Like, I'm a confident guy. I believe I can get it done. But if you don't have faith and then you don't put that into action and you're just complaining, then you just you're not operating and you're not you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You can't complain and have faith simultaneously. Yeah. It's impossible. Did anyone tell you you were crazy for Everybody doing it the way that you did? Everybody told me I was crazy. <laughs> I love it. But I think, you know, it was it was crazy. You take a sure thing, right? Yeah. Uh, this was the and they still are. Listen, man, this part, I only work for two companies. I work for for Jerry Bear and Fred Grace and I work for myself. Right. Yeah. So the success that they every success that they have. I feel that I'm a part of that success because I was there when they were building the success. And by the way. They now have, uh, they're not just in that market. Hmm. So it happened anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they just, you know, there, there are certain things that folk, certain folks are blessed with. I don't have an MBA, right? I don't have a business, you know, uh, degree, right? My parents don't. Uh, my parents graduated high school and my dad went and played ball in a couple places for college. Um, and he's a sales, he was a sales sports salesman. Right. Mm. Uh, and my mother's a pianist and he's a, he's actually a, a, a Methodist minister getting ready to retire now. Um, but yeah, they, you know, just regular people with, with an understanding of, you know, you got to put in the work. I think the work ethic is, yeah. is that and I heard even Will Smith say this, I'm not the most talented. I'm not the brightest <laughs> But I have one of the craziest work ethics. No one is going to outwork me. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a lot of folks that are very similar uh, in that, you know, they don't have the necessarily the talent. Right. But if you put in the work uh, and you have some raw skill set, um, you can go a lot of places. Yeah, I think what we find, it's a blessing in one sense, because so many people give up way too early. And when you've got that work ethic and that DNA in you and you can see a vision that no one else can see, even when they're like, you're crazy, quit, stop. That's right. where you get the breakthrough. Absolutely. Yes. A lot of people quit too early. A lot of people complain too mm. much. And part of that complaint is they, they are uncomfortable. And that's kind of the definition of really chasm is, you know, uh, I don't know if I ever told you this, that um, I, I, so I'm in third year architecture school at LSU. Julian White, who was the first African-American professor at LSU, um, was my, also, he was my architectural professor. Really? Imagine that. Yeah. He became the architectural, the first professor at LSU, African-American, the same year I was born, 1971, wow. right? He then became my mentor uh, at LSU. So I'm in his class and we're going over shade tree mechanics, right? And doing this project that's called shade tree mechanics. 
And I'm talking about tectonic plates and, you know, how the thing shifts and all this. And he looks at me over his glasses and says, you have no idea what you're talking about. Go to the uh, design library and, you know, figure out what you want to design because this is not it. So I go there and I'm looking up tectonic plates and, you know, uh, earthquakes and how things shift. And I run across the word chasm. Mm. I said, that's a cool word. So I started reading chasm, you know, uh, a crevice calls deep fissure, right? Whatever. And then the second definition is a sudden interruption in continuity. And I'm mm. like, second, a sudden interruption in continuity. Hmm. So I locked that word away. I changed my concept, by the way, because I didn't know what I was talking about. Right. Um, I, I locked that word away and I didn't say that word again. I didn't write it down again until I created Chasm in 2005 when I was transitioning out of the uh, partnership with the other company. So I always knew I was going to name my company Chasm. And, you know, we talk about the sudden interruption of evolution um, you know, sudden interruption and continuity symbolizing the evolution of new ideas. That means that in order for you to really be great, you have to operate uncomfortably. Mm. You have to operate. If you are comfortable, mm. then you're going to miss 10 years of life. Oh, that's good. That's you good. have to operate outside of your comfort zone in order to really uh, see a exponential change in your life. And if you're, if you're not willing to do that, you're going to miss, I believe you're going to miss something phenomenal that could happen in your life that you could not even. Mm. God, that's so good. That's so good. Nathaniel, we've got about 10 minutes left and I could keep you on here for probably an hour. We could keep telling stories, but I got two things I want to make sure we don't miss before we finish. One, I want you to talk a little bit about kind of what you've got going on with P3. If you want to go back and kind of, I mean, sitting over your shoulder, for those of you who can't see, the canopies at the Atlanta airport were designed by Chasm and by Nathaniel and his group. I mean, they're just beautiful, especially when they're lit up. You may want to talk about that a little bit, P3, but we're not going to get out of here without you talking about your dreams and vision for Chasm Academy. Great, great, great. Uh, so uh, let's talk uh, a little bit about P3 first. So Dee Brown and I, our, our, our friends, uh, met and started uh, P3 Group, the nation's largest public-private partnership uh, company in uh, in the U.S. And he came to call me on a Saturday and said, Nate, if I bring the legal and if I bring in, uh, you know, all of the uh, potentially the not the construction, but the the development side of things, the finance." Yeah. Uh, I think we can go into some of these small municipalities who don't know how to put transactions together and uh, build fire stations for these communities and, mm. uh, you know, municipal courthouses. And it, we've done that, right? Um, I brought in the architectural and introduced the construction, brought in all the engineering, and we've successfully grown a brand uh, for P3 and CHASM uh, that is nationwide. And uh, we, we really are community-based. We really want to work within the communities that look uh, like us in the communities that mean they look like us, meaning they, they don't have the financial means to execute a project. So you don't have to be African-American to look like us. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is folks don't have the money to do what they dream that they want to do. And we bring that level of vision uh, to these communities. And we've done that successfully uh, over the past, you know, five years now, six years now. But um, the beautiful part of that is you talked about, it was the voices and the vision that's inside of you. When you guys go in and do this, you're bringing voices and vision into a community that doesn't have it. I mean, I was what I want my listeners to understand that you're not saying out loud Right. I mean, that is the beautiful part right. of what you're bringing to these communities. Absolutely. We're bringing. Uh, so we designed a veterans memorial uh, facility in Jefferson County. Jefferson County was hit bad by the uh, AIDS, uh, uh, the AIDS. Um, I want to say pandemic, but that's the only word that I can think of. But uh, epidemic. Right. Epidemic, and yeah. then uh, once again, by COVID. Right. So you go into these communities that really need uh, something to uplift them and we designed uh, a coroner's office 
a health unit and a veterans building that also had a memorial tethered to it. And I'll tell you, when we dedicated the veterans memorial, uh, you had folks in the community crying because they haven't seen a new building of this magnitude for them, right? These buildings right. are for the people in the community. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a testament to, you know, what, what the DNA of uh, the companies are about and also what, you know, the vision that we put into these things is really about, like, we really want to be in a position to help folks uh, and just kind of uplift a community through uh, design and construction and finance. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, the most important thing I think that people need is hope. Is a belief yes. that something greater is possible. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So this thing behind me, uh, I'll tell you how that story went down. So uh, Atlanta Airport uh, was the primary reason I came here. Uh, I hadn't pursued any work with the city, really. And I heard about this, this uh, five-year modernization on call of the Atlanta Airport. And I said to myself, wow, do I really want to get tied down for five years with a client um, because once you're in there, it kind of changes the DNA of your firm. And I wasn't sure I was ready for that yet. Um, and I also had heard some, some great stories, but I also heard some bad stories about working with large municipalities. So I, I decided to go anyway. And I, I met uh, at the airport with a couple of guys uh, who were pursuing it. And one firm said, well, we already have our team together. Would you, would you mind being a consultant? And one team said, well, you could be a joint venture partner on the team. And I said, well, I live in Atlanta. I really don't want to be a consultant. I'm really trying to change the way firms like mine are viewed and not just be a consultant on a team. So I told the first team, no. Uh, and listen, the city of Atlanta, not chasing the money again, right? Yeah. The city of Atlanta allows me to be a prime and a consultant on another team at the same time. But I chose just to be a prime because I didn't want to label my firm mm -hmm. as a firm that chases money. Yep. Right. So we went out, uh, we, we teamed with uh, HOK and Stanley Love Stanley and uh, the airport canopies were on the landside modernization ticket and 864 foot long ETFE diagrid canopies uh, that light up to any holiday that you can think of. Uh, the facades were also part of that program. Uh, some of the interiors as well. Uh, we did the first F380 gate, uh, Airbus gate uh, at the city of Atlanta. Uh, just imagine all of this from a guy that walked into a room and saw the word architecture. <laughs> <laughs> I can't As I said, a guy with vision, I'm going to keep telling you that you're just a man with vision, um, yeah. which before we finish up, tell them about your vision for Chasm Academy. So Chasm Academy uh, and, and my vision of it really is, you know, uh, just thinking about my, my daughters and my son. Right. So I didn't grow up with access to architecture, uh, but my daughter since the age of seven has said she wants to be an architect. Right. And that's because she has access to an architect, right? And if we can provide access to, you know, these other uh, professions to students, it doesn't have to be architecture. It could be anything, right? Sure. It could be finance. It could be development. It could be whatever. It could be uh, astrology. I don't care, right? Um, but we have to provide access to young minds so that they can see beyond where they're living and beyond where their parents are and dream much bigger than being, um, you know, what they see on television, right? Everybody wants to be a professional football player uh, or a professional basketball player or whatever they see on television. But then you've got these invisible billionaires walking around and nobody is sharing how you can do that, how you can achieve that. And I think we got to get off of our, um, you know, our egos and, and reach back and, and help folks uh, that really need the, they just need someone that can help them with their vision, help them visualize themselves, um, mm. you know, 
flying first class, right? Taking vacations uh, in places where they never thought and then, you know, not worrying about how the next check is going to come in, right? And honestly, that can happen to all of us. I mean, when you're operating a company, it gets lean. It does, yeah. Right? I'm not here saying that we're in the best financial shape as a company. Listen, you, it gets lean yeah. when we are out here trying to great create vision and create legacy. And a lot of that is paying it forward mm-hmm. and, and making sure that you're not thinking about, you know, now or yesterday, right? Some of this is investing in where the company is headed and where you're going to be, you know, five years from now, not thinking about what you're currently working on. Yeah. It comes back to vision, vision and hope. I mean, that's what I've kind of taken from you today. You've got to have vision. You've got to have hope. And the third thing I'd add is you got to have work ethic because you got to be able to put your shoulder into it and do it. You got to have work ethic. You got to have it. I mean, you know, hey, I remember coming up as a kid, we had a a 200 foot garden next door and we would have to get up in the morning on Saturday and go out to that garden while my friends were playing in the street. Mm. Yep. I got to put in work, man. 400 shots before the game, after the game, win or lose. Nathaniel, before we kind of wrap up here, one question. Favorite book or book you, we, you and I met in one sense over a book. What's the, your favorite book other than the Bible that you love to share with people? Wow. Uh, my favorite book. Uh, so I got this book before I was born. It was my first book. It was As a Man Thinketh, mm. right? And it's yep. from a proverb. Uh, I can't think. If you ask me who the author is right now, I'm so Isn't sorry. Is it Ogmandino? Uh, uh no uh okay yeah um the, as a man thinketh is the book uh, it's a small read right uh but it really talks about your thought process mm. and where your thoughts take you and i used to coach aau basketball i used to tell kids all the time listen if you want to be a gangster you're going to find yourself in a gangster situation right mm. if you want to be great right? You're going to find yourself in a great situation. So it's all about how you project the things, your thoughts, no one controls your thoughts. Only you control your thoughts, right? True. So your thought process has to modify if you want to modify your outcomes in life. And if you can't do that. James Allen is the author of James Allen. Thank you so much. (laughs) James Allen. I knew it was two, two first names, right? Um, (laughs) Um, but yeah, thank you so much. J- James Allen, uh, as a man thinketh, uh, you know, great book. I still have that book. That book is 50 years old, right? Going on 51. I read it every year, right? Uh, I go back to it every year. And at some point I'll, I'll pass it along, uh, to either, uh, to, I don't know who I'm going to pass it along to. If it's going to be my my knucklehead son, or I give all of them. Um, you may have to uh, get them all their own copy. If it's like my house, as my kids get older, they fight over stuff. So yeah, that's why I paused. I was about to name a name, and I forgot we weren't talking on an airplane. We're talking on a podcast. <laughs> we are. We are. <laughs> Nathaniel, if anybody's listening and they're like, "I just love this story," and they want to get in touch with you, or they want to just know more about what you're doing and just kind of follow you, what's the best way to? stay on top of what you're doing and things you're involved in. I say uh, jump on LinkedIn and find me, Nathaniel O. Clark. Uh, you can go to our website, chasmarchitecture.com. Uh, and, you know, just, just kind of check us out, see what we're doing. And I'm also uh, going to be starting to l- release some podcasts. Uh, I'm on a self-made uh, broadcast with uh, D Brown as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, got a lot of media things that are happening right now. Uh, we just filmed uh, three shows in Peoria, Illinois, uh, with self-made and uh, HBCYOU. Right? I think it's going to be a lot of fun uh, to watch those, and uh, you know, I'll be a, a, one of the regulars on those shows that comes up. So, um, yeah, want to just promote those things, man. It's it's been a good ride and, you know, it's all about looking down the line, right? How do you create legacy? Um, and yeah, 
thank you so much, Eric. Yeah. This has been great. We're going to have to probably do this again. I love your stories and we barely scratched the surface, but you just, all the information you shared today was so rich. So thank you, Nathaniel, for being with us. Thank you everyone for joining us today um, and investing this time. And we will see you again next week. God bless you. Eric L. Dunavit here. Thank you so much for joining us for Redefining Success, the Kingdom Builder Spotlight. If you're a business owner or a family who is actively redefining success or have thoughts on kingdom impact or generational prosperity, and you would like to be a guest on the show, then I invite you to apply. Visit www.ericldunavit.com dot com slash podcast slash apply. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, I would love for you to share that either through text or social media. Take a screenshot of the show and share that and share what you learned. If you know anyone that should be a guest on our show, we would also love for you to connect us to them. The best way to do that is to use hashtag redefining success. I love to read your thoughts and shares on social media. And we also are honored just to get any recommendations of people that you think we should be interviewing on the show. We are constantly adding new content, adding new podcasts. So first and foremost, I'm going to recommend that you subscribe so that you don't miss a thing. Also, you, all of your likes, your reviews, your shares, all of that makes a big difference to the show. So if you'll include those when you can, we definitely appreciate it. If you'd like to get in touch with me, visit www.ericl360.com and all of my connections to social and other ways to get in touch with me are there. This is Eric L. Dunavant, the Mindset Disruption Strategist, signing off. Until next time.